Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast with Tanya Newfeld Flanagan. This show is all about informing and inspiring Irish homeowners and buyers on all things around property, house and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Welcome back to the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan, and I'm here on episode 10 with one of our industry experts, stylist and creative director, Kira O'Halloran. Thank you so much for joining us, Kira. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm excited to be able to chat all things styling and design and hopefully make a useful contribution to an already really wonderful podcast. I've enjoyed listening so far. Oh, thanks so much, Kira. I think like stylists is like the dream job for every girl since they're like 16. It seems like the, you know, that teen Vogue, Devil Wears Prada, mythical (laughs) role. And I'm dying to hear all the tips from editorial and commercial that people can bring into their home. But before we jump into all that, tell us how you ended up with this magical job (laughs) and uh, what it actually consists of. Yeah, so I think like a lot of people coming out of school at 18, we don't really have a clue as to to what we wanted to do. And certainly in secondary school, guidance counsellor sessions, stylist was not one of the ones that (laughs) (laughs) as a possible future career. So for me, yeah, I guess it's been a bit of a winding road to get to this point. I also work as a musician, so I guess you could kind of call me somebody who works in the creative industry in general. And, you know, in hindsight, I think I was very lucky to grow up in a creative household and for that to be something that was that we were pretty much immersed in and encouraged from an early stage. My mom was a cellist. My grandfather, when he retired, would have gone into painting. And I think unknowingly to me at the time, the whole what you could call the science of aesthetics was something that was always attractive to me. So I guess, again, you get to that point at 18, try and figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. So I was considering various routes, obviously music being something familiar. Um, I also looked at interior design. I was definitely a child who even at, I remember being as young as 11 or 12. And one of my favorite pastimes was to go out for a walk in the evening with my mum. As you know, in Ireland, things would be getting darker in six o'clock. And I could be like, oh, maybe I'll get to see into some, you know, see these lovely homes that you walk past. And the idea of how you design a home and how you make a space was always something that, that had my interest. And then the last kind of corner that had me interested at 18 was journalism. So weigh up all those options. And in the end, the familiar one out, I decided to go ahead with music, which I've been doing all my life and pursued uh, BMOS and then later went to the States and do a master's in music, which I still work in these days. I work as a classical violinist and, and lecture in music. So fast forward, however many years later to my own wedding, and I took a lot of great pleasure in designing the elements of it and really factoring in all of the the visual details and the aesthetic details to try and, I suppose, capture as much of our own personality on the day and how we could immerse our guests in getting a glimpse of us as a couple and our story to date. So I think, you know, a lot of couples probably planning a wedding is the first huge creative event Mm. they're involved (laughs) as independent adults. Um, so I had an amazing time as so many brides do and kind of this 
this niggle got to me afterwards being like, wow, I really, I really enjoyed that experience, but, you know, kind of shoved it away and didn't really think too much more of it. But our photographer at the time, Christina Brosnan, who um, came to France with us, we, we went a bit OTT and had two weddings 12 years ago now. So I'm, I'm showing my age, but long story short, <laughs> He saw how much I enjoyed the process and said, look, if you're ever interested in doing, you know, working together again, if you'd like to shoot, let me know. So I said, wow, amazing. Sure. Why not? Let's give it a go. So we met again and did a shoot. And as cliche as it sounds, kind of one thing led to another. Did that with her. Another photographer saw our work and asked me, would I like to collaborate with them? A magazine saw that and asked me, would I like to come on board? And it kind of very organically grew the wedding styling side of things where again I was doing a lot of editorial work and an American photographer Katie Mary came over to Ireland and asked me would I collaborate with her on an editorial photo shoot which ended up getting featured in Style Me Pretty and kind of gained a lot of traction that way so again you're talking this was kind of 2011 2012 it was very early in the say the styling industry and I think yeah you know, developed a lot, even the awareness in Ireland as to what a stylist does and what role they can potentially play. I think people are a lot more aware of it now. And yeah, my career kind of evolved from the wedding kind of into more lifestyle, prop styling um, and editorial and interiors. And while I still dip into the wedding styling side of things, it would be more lifestyle and interiors would be my main focus at this point. Cool. That's such a, that's such an interesting story. I didn't know that you, it had happened from your wedding kicking it off. And I can so see that as a fellow creative who just got married, there's like, you could just get obsessed with every detail and really bring it to life. And I love what you said about the styling can tell your story. And then to want, like, now that the wedding's over, I'm like, I need more things to, to kind of bring to life. And luckily I get to do it in my work, but I see how Obviously, this photographer picked up on your natural knack for it, you know, and the rest is history. So now you do a mix of, like you said, more the interior side, lifestyle editorial. You do a mix of like, you know, I suppose styling real projects and real people's homes for features and the likes of image. I know you've been featured in and then also commercials like, you know, product photography and food and and that kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So a lot of editorial work, like you said, for Irish magazines and magazines abroad. And I particularly enjoy working with clients. So a lot of my speciality would be smaller creatives who are looking to, I suppose, get their their artwork or their product or their creation out into the world. Mm. And I will come on board and I guess help them to distill their vision and then work with a photographer to create a set of images that they can use for their brand, be it on their website itself or for editorial work or advertising. And yeah, I think storytelling, the styling itself to me is very much about the art of storytelling and bringing whoever sees that image on a visual journey. So hence, it's particularly satisfying working with those creatives who are, you know, perhaps trying to get off the ground and really want to get there their artwork out into the world. It's lovely to play a part in that supportive process for them. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And um, tell me, so one thing that I I definitely wanted to dig into today was interior styling and how that differs from interior design. Um, Out of curiosity, do you work with people 
who are just like, you know, not, it's not going to be photographed or anything. It's just their own home and they need it to be restyled. Does that happen? Do your friends make you do it for free? (laughs) To date, I've had a few people approach me to say, can you come in? I guess for me, so much of my work is about working behind the camera. And I think absolutely those skills, whether you've got a camera there or not, they can still be applied. And even for me, in my own home, you know, all these skills that I apply in a photo shoot on a day-to-day basis are so valuable and so useful to put into practice. But definitely my comfort zone is putting that experience into an image. And for that to be then what goes out into the world. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, like you said, all of these tips can still be extracted for people who aren't looking to, to photograph their homes. What, like, what's the difference between styling a home and hiring an interior designer? Such a good question. And I think there's still so much confusion over this, mostly because a lot of the skills and a lot of the roles understandably overlap. Mm-hmm. I think particularly in Ireland where the industry is that much smaller and there's been so much changes in the industry, I think over the last 10 to 15 years, I can completely understand the, the confusion. So for me, and again, I'm sure you could speak to this more yourself as well, when it comes to an interior designer, they very much have responsibility for the form and the function of the space. So you may bring an entire interior designer on board to advise and design the elements of your space that aren't going to be changed. So kitchen design, bathroom design, spatial layout, you know, lighting function, all of these elements that you don't want to um, Mm and have to get money in again in a short amount of time so I suppose in some countries what then would be referred to as an interior decorator would look at the next layer up again where you're talking you know the soft furnishings so sourcing rugs and curtains advising on paint colors focusing a little bit more on how a space will feel as much as how it will function I think in Ireland a lot of interior designers depending on who you will hire will will specialize in one area or will do both or will have a leaning towards one or the other. And again, the confusion, I guess, comes in in that a lot of that aesthetic elements, a stylist can be responsible for also. But for me, if you break it down, essentially styling or interior styling is the art of arranging objects. So The art of arranging objects. I'm writing that down. (laughs) So... Think of your final layer in a home, you know, all of the the elements that you you bring into a space, how you arrange them can have a huge impact on how the space feels. Mm -hmm. So, of course, what elements you choose to begin with ideally should be a reflection of your own personal style. But I think the lovely thing about styling is it doesn't matter what your own personal aesthetic is. You know, you can be Scandi, minimalism, have very little things in your home, or you can be about color and maximalism and have something on every single surface. And styling can be a tool you can use to elevate your space further without having to invest huge amounts of money. You know, you don't need to go out and renovate. Of course, we can all benefit, myself included, from looking at clutter and how you arrange things. But I think at its basic level, styling is a tool for visual storytelling and is the art of arranging objects. Tell me a little bit about your house, too, because I know that's a whole project in and of itself. And I think we can probably take some lessons of 
how to bring styling home with with your project. So what 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 was your um, special house purchase and where where did that project take you? So yes, we moved back to Cork about five years ago, having lived in Dublin for a few years, and a lot of my styling career would have would take have taken off in Dublin. Two kids, we decided to move closer to family again, which I would highly recommend. We're very lucky <laughs> to help. Um, and of course, you know, working in the industry, being lucky enough through a lot of magazine editorials to be in so many amazing houses. I certainly loved the idea of, you know, finding a home that reflected us and reflected our values. So when we moved back, we were keeping an eye on the market. This would have been kind of 2017. Uh, an apartment near enough to where I grew up came on the market that had originally been a manor house built in the 1700s, then was bought by the Ursuline nuns and converted into a school and a convent in kind of the 1800s and had remained a school until the early 2000s, I believe. Wow. Yeah. So quite an interesting building and history. Um, and in terms of personal history, my mom actually went to school here in the 70s. So when it came, yeah, so lovely. When it came on the market, we were like, let's go have a look more for my mom to be able to see her old classrooms and what they had done with it. It was a building that had originally been renovated in, I think just before the recession hit, it got so far in the process and then lay empty for 10 years. And then another developer came in and kind of finished it off. So we literally genuinely went just to have a look, to to kind of experience it. And I still remember walking through the front door of an apartment downstairs and kind of getting that, you know, that harsh flutter of being like, yeah, this this is incredible. And then coming to see the apartment that we now live in and walking through the front door and being like, oh no, I love it. (laughs) I'm in trouble now. (laughs) Absolutely. So you know, I think a lot of people would consider apartment living in Ireland still being quite an unconventional choice for a family. Yeah, yeah. So I think I had to work through a lot of my kind of preconceived preconceived ideas of, you know, you have to have your semi-D and you have to have your garden and, you know, all these things that we, we think we should value, which are amazing, don't get me wrong. But yeah, the, the place stole stole our hearts, to be honest. And we decided to go for it. And thankfully, five years on, we're we're still here and really enjoying it. Wow. Um, and how many how many apartments was the house split into? So I believe there are 27. Oh, it's big. Okay. Here. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's very large, a very large building. And we're lucky to own a, a tiny portion of it. Just to kind of give you an idea of your space, our space, you come in and we have a long hallway and there are two bedrooms off that. We have an ensuite in our bathroom and then there's a main family bathroom and then a large open plan kitchen diner living. So in terms of the stage that my own kids are at, age three and six, it's absolutely perfect. I love having the open plan space with them. I can be in the kitchen. They can be playing here. They are very happy to share a room at the moment, age three and six. (laughs) Our long-term needs, I haven't yet figured out how we're going to (laughs) that work, but we are love it you know it's a gorgeous location for me I guess it was being able to buy somewhere with the history and the character you know we've original Georgian windows we've three meter high ceilings with all the functionality that comes with the space that has been refurbished and is you know was family ready when we bought it it was essentially a white box so all of the plumbing electrics insulation had been done 
But amazing. Yeah. So I got to do the fun stuff at the end. <laughs> put the kitchen in, we put the flooring in, you know, we did all the decorating. So in terms of my stylist role, it was it was the dream. All of the fun stuff without too much of the hard work, thankfully. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I've I've seen it on your Instagram, obviously. I'm just, just pulling it up here so I can follow along on the journey. So what did you find different? Like as you started to decorate your own space, what did you find that works in front of a camera? that you actually had to adapt when you were putting it into like a living, breathing thing that wasn't going to stay that way? How did you change what you do? Yeah, I think it was very much trying to distill down all of the ideas and inspiration I had got from other people's homes over the years. And for me to have the confidence, I guess, to trust my own visual voice Mm. and not get distracted by all of these amazing ideas, you know, on Pinterest, Instagram, we're so lucky to have all of these resources, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a complete chasm of ideas that you can easily get lost in. So I think I very much started by looking at the framework of the building, the history. I think perhaps in a different setting, you know, house in the country, my visual aesthetic may have gone a slightly different direction, but I wanted to honor the bones of the building, but then make sure that it was a reflection of us. So it essentially came down to focusing on what we valued and how we were going to be using the space. And I think no matter what project I approach, be it an editorial um, tour for a magazine or working with a commercial client or my advice for homeowners in general, it would be return to your own values. So Mm. are you somebody who values, you know, a space feeling calm? Are you somebody who really wants to feel energized in a space? So a lot of those questions obviously are going to be answered as to how you're going to be using a space and who's living there. You know, you know, you might walk into this hotel in Mallorca, for example, we just got back. <laughs> I absolutely love what they've done. But when then you look at your own family's needs and the way you live day to day, that may not be transferable from, from A to B. So you know, I sat down with my husband, we very much wanted our home to feel authentic and for us to feel like we were surrounded by elements that supported our lifestyle, but that felt true to us. So, you know, making a list of your your values, family, you know, community, warmth, calm, we very much focused on how we wanted the space to feel. Yeah. And for that to be supportive to how we would, we would live our lives day to day. Um, so I think when it came down to it, I actually knew deep down how I wanted to design the space, but it had to get to that why and it had to get to that intention behind the values for me to be able to get from A to B. So rather than yeah. start the aesthetics, it was starting with the intention and the, the feelings behind it, which is a hard exercise. I think essentially or especially in Irish culture, you know, we're not used to delving deep. We're not used to looking at our <laughs> and, and having ask those hard questions but it was such a valuable exercise for me to do and thankfully five years on we haven't changed anything and I still walk in and feel yeah okay this feels like home and this feels like us yeah it's incredible actually looking at through your Instagram and when you see the outside of the building with the kind of the beautiful decorative arch over the doors painted in the blue I see how you then brought that into the color of your kitchen is that kind of powdery gray blue and it kind of speaks to the the outside of the building so I see what you're doing but then you have like this like really sleek Scandinavian furniture that like you said then the eyes are just drawn to the windows it's really beautiful and 
something that just came to mind when you were saying for your own project, you really have to dig down and have, have a rationale for all these things. I suppose when you're shooting a commercial and an editorial, you can be you can be a little more formulaic with the things that you've kind of learned that are tried and true for you. You're like, oh yeah, like a little bit of lavender and this vase and like a beautiful linen tea towel draped across. And you might have your own formulas that you'll then, you know, stylize depending on the client. But for your own house, it, it has to be that little bit more, like just like your wedding, it has to be that little more okay, this, this represents us. Like, am I sure about this? Is this just a trend or is this really, does this embody how we want to live? So you have to, you have to push yourself, I'm sure, to be a little more original with, with what you decided on and not be pulled by all these trends that I'm sure you're inspired by in, in your daily work. Absolutely. And I think having sounding boards for that was very useful and and being very intentional with those sounding boards. I think I easily could have you know, approached everybody in the industry. <laughs> Should I do this? So I think it was it was tuning inwards and really listening to my own intuition and then going to just one or two trusted sources and saying, look, I'm thinking about this. I think it'll mm. work. Getting that that kind of nudge. Um, a good friend of mine is an interior designer in the um, Netherlands, Holly Mar- mm. Marjorie of Avenue Interior Design. And she was amazing because she was, you know, again, the sounding board of saying, yeah, I think you're on the right track or perhaps would you consider this? And I think particularly because we have a large open plan space, every Mm. visual decision felt like it was going to have a knock on effect on everything else in the room. So I was trying to be very mindful of that, which in some ways I have honed through my editorial experience. I'm very conscious when I'm doing a photo shoot for a magazine that every individual image taken on the day will be cohesive in terms of tone, in terms of mood, in terms of color story, in terms of texture, so that regardless of the magazine that uses it, obviously the editors decide on the layout, that they should be able to use all of those images in any order or any combination, Mm. and that that will look cohesive and and still make sense. So I could take those skills on board, um, and this would be a huge tip for people who do live in an open plan space, is to make sure that you have that thread running through either in terms of your color palette or in terms of your materials so that when everything is in the space, it all works together rather than as individual kind of um, disjointed parts. And so she was great, Holly. She helped us to design a kind of floor to ceiling storage system, which was so important Mm -hmm. for functionality. But it also then is a lovely place for me to do little vignettes and to play around with styling props and form and function. I think that's really smart about getting intentional on who you ask for advice from. Like, even if, you know, the average person listening doesn't have an interior designer friend, I'm sure you have somebody whose style you admire and like is similar to yours and not asking every single person. Cause if you ask your mom and your partner and your best friend, and then your kind of designy friend, you're going to get so much advice. It's just going to be not good. So definitely a good tip there. And um, you're actually taking us down the path. I wanted to go talking about your open plan space and all of that. Can you talk me through a little bit? Let's get a little like more hands-on and talk practically the average person kind of maybe living in a rental that they, they don't love, or maybe they've lived in the same house for five to 10 years, they don't really have the time or money or headspace to do a full renovation or hire an interior designer. What are a few common mistakes you see people settle into 
how and and how can they remedy them with with styling particularly like let's think first of a of a big open plan living dining kitchen area how can people start to change the way a space feels to kind of improve their day-to-day life so i think clutter obviously is something we all suffer with me included yeah. you know don't believe all of these beautifully styled <laughs> um, pictures but <laughs> profile trust me there is plenty of battling clutter going on in the background so for me one of the first things I do for example when I go into uh, a magazine photo shoot editorial wise is often I will take everything out of the space first Um, (laughs) you know just to kind of look at it with fresh eyes I'm very conscious of I want to make sure I am conveying the story and the personality of the family that lives there but also it's important that there is breathing space in an image. I think often negative space is actually more important than the actual things that you put in it. Um, So I think it's not always an easy thing to do, but if you can start, if you want to refresh, you know, put everything in another room for a few minutes and then, you know, go through that and say, right, what do I actually need in my space? Is this something I need that is functional? Ideally, is this something that brings me joy? Is it something that I have an emotional connection to? And if you're not getting a yes, ideally you want a yes with both of those things. It's functional and beautiful. Mm. Let's call it like it is. It's not always going to be the case for me included. But really getting intentional on what we have brought into our home and why. I think Mm. the why is a question that we often don't ask. You know, things just come in over the years, either things you bought yourself or you've got out of necessity or you've got as gifts or the kids have brought in and we don't force ourselves to look at those things with a fresh eye. So step one, take everything out of the space, curate what is there. Does it need to be there? Again, when I am curating an image, every individual item in an image needs to be there for a reason. I'm constantly coming back to the story or to the mood and every item should be contributing to that story. It should be an intentional thing. And if it's not, we take it out. So of course, it's it's much easier to do that in a magazine <laughs> shoot when it's not real life. But I think even allowing yourself the exercise and looking at your space with fresh eyes and highlighting the things that are particularly important to you and ideally that you feel are personal to you. I think so often on Instagram or in Pinterest, we see these beautifully curated images and people try to recreate them, but there's no soul to it then because you have no personal connection to it. You're trying to literally you know, kind of color by numbers, I'm going to put this here, I'm going to put this here, but we're all individuals. And I think the homes that I have walked into over the years where, you know, and I'm sure everyone has, where you walk into a home and you go, wow, this, there's another feeling at play here. This feels authentic. This feels real is when the homeowners have chosen items to display that are a reflection of them. So things they have collected on their travels, personal photos, you know, memories of events that they have experienced, that will always make you feel better in a space, but will always then translate better, be it in imagery or in person. Yeah, I agree completely. I think um, there's, there's a huge difference in something feeling like a home versus an overly styled house. And sometimes people have a negative connotation to something being styled because it feels fake. Mm -hmm. But if you're styling things like with artifacts that like mean something to you, then every time, for example, behind me on on Zoom, 
I can see two pieces that my mom made for, and, and I see like a framed quote from James Joyce, which has a whole connection to why I came to Ireland. And there's a, an illustration of the last dart to Bray, which is like the last dart that my husband used to take when he used to come into Dublin to go out. So all these little things, when I walk past them, I kind of smile and I kind of think of my mom or think of my husband being a, a 19 year old uh, or myself reading James Joyce in, in Ireland. And all these little things really change how you, you live in your home. Because if those were just like, if I just went on online and bought the, the most expensive, beautiful things I could, it wouldn't have that same effect. I would just be like, oh, look, that's fancy, but it's not me. Absolutely. And I think that's the, you've hit the nail on the head. It's filling your home with things that you have a meaningful connection with and you feel, you know, an emotional connection to. I think, you know, obviously the last few years have highlighted mm. how important our homes are, given how much time we've all spent in them <laughs> or unwillingly. And I think we kind of, you know, need to to really step back and realize, you know, your home it's the first place you wake up in the morning. It's the last place you go to sleep at night. It's where you make all these memories with your significant others or, you know, all these life experiences we have had. It's always your home you return to. So I think we need to really see the value of investing in that space and making it be somewhere that supports, you know, our story to date, but also how we want to live going forward. Um, it can really set the tone for for how we live our lives and can either support that or detract from that, depending on how we we choose to interact with our space. Yeah. And um, going back to, to what you were talking about when somebody approaches a, you know, their open plan space, taking everything out. I think that could even extend to, you know, it's obviously hard to move all your sofa and things like that. But a lot of times we we when you move in somewhere, you put the sofa somewhere. And then you didn't actually think about what happens if you if you change it around completely. And I remember as a child, every year, my, my parents would make me take out all my toys and clear things out and do a spring cleaning. And I loved it. And every time I would actually move the furniture around in my room and do something differently. And I, I would get so excited because it was like I had a new room. And like to this day, I still sometimes my husband will come down. He's like, why have you turned the dining table around? And it's just to kind of give the room a different feel and sit somewhere different, get have the light hit you some in a different way. So as you take Kira's tip and take everything out of the room, maybe get somebody to help you and be like, could the sofa go here? What happens if that goes there? And like, don't be limited because you have art hanging on a wall or a TV on a wall. Maybe there's a better place for these things to go. And you've if you've lived in a space for a while, you know where the sun hits, you know, you know where the, a lot of dust collects and where the dog sits. Um, so I think it's an opportunity to also rezone parts of parts of an area, especially in an open plan space without having to like, you know, change your furniture. And that can be really powerful because it'll change a space completely. Absolutely. The energy can be completely transformed, as you say, depending on what layout you, you have there. If you choose to take certain elements out or put certain elements in, it can really change how you interact and how you feel with the space. And I think, again, going back to your why and your intentionality, you know, analyzing how do I feel when I walk into this specific space? Is it supporting how I want to feel? And if not, what can I change? What can I do to, to get to that point? It can be really useful questions to ask. Um, so yeah, as I say, take everything out, step one, 
<laughs> and then I guess it's it's asking those questions, like I said, about your values, about what feeling you want to bring into a room, you know, identifying those things like you listed yourself that have emotional connection for you and have meaning and then have a bit of fun playing around with things, you know, you know, I think certainly I particularly enjoy as a stylist creating what are known as vignettes so those little corners Mm. like I can see behind you on the shelf those little corners where you can artfully arrange your objects your styling to to share some of yourself you know so that be it if there's nobody else in your home something that makes you smile or that the people who come into your home do get a sense of you and what's important to you in your in your day-to-day life yeah Now, talking brass tacks, let's think of like a kitchen and a dining and a living area. A lot of the tips people get about styling is like, you already mentioned negative space. So don't fill every single surface unless that's the look you're going for, right? And also you hear about arranging things in like threes or like in odd numbers and also having things of different heights and of different shapes, but then like the materials. So which of these kind of rules do you actually play by? And like, what would you recommend someone? Let, let's think of a kitchen first. You know, if people are like, okay, well, like, what do I do? Do I just do like the pretty cutting board or like what? If, if people don't just want it to look like any other Instagram uh, feed post, what can they take from your kind of rule book that they can still make their own? So I think really important step one especially when you're trying to you know make this work in your own home look at function there's no Mm. point having these beautiful like chopping boards that you've ordered online they arrive and then you realize I'll never be able to use this without damaging it you know you have to Mm. have your space they're actually going to be supportive to your day-to-day life so that would be step one most definitely I think step two and I think this goes for for every space and it also goes for every image is to start with a hero piece or a focal point Mm, okay that you're in an image that would be the element that you're I will go to first so say for example if it's in your kitchen and you know maybe you have a big pendant over an island or something like that and you want that to be the the focus of your image or focus of your experience when you walk into the kitchen so that is going to obviously dictate a certain amount in terms of for me, if I was working at the photographer camera angle and how we're setting everything up, how are we going to draw the eye to that first? In terms of scale, then that will then influence the other items that you put in that image or, you know, how you would style your kitchen. If your pendant is coming down low over your, say, your island or your peninsula, you're not going to put a large vase with flowers that's going to be blocking it off or things like that so whatever your hero piece is maybe it might be something smaller it doesn't necessarily need to be a huge item it Mm -hmm. might be you know an artwork that your grandmother did for you that you like to see when you go into the kitchen and remind you of cooking with her so you want to make sure that that element is somewhere somewhere noticeable and that what other whatever supporting pieces you put in that image or in the room itself aren't going to be competing with that and when you talk about the focal piece, obviously in, in a photo shoot, you're, you're zoning in on a corner. If you're doing it in a house and like a space you use every day, would it be kind of the vignette of like what a person sees when they're staring at a given wall, like yeah, a side of a room? About how people are moving through a space. So say you're mm. transitioning from your hall into your living room. 
like in our hall, for example, we have a very long hall with lovely windows and we've double doors. So it's about what is drawing you into the next room. So you might have a large plant at the end of the hallway that is going to draw you either your eye down if it's an image or it's going to draw the person down and want them to, to I suppose, the flow through the space that those elements mm-hmm. support that. Yeah, I think plants and greenery, things that kind of bring a bit of life and a bit of sculptural element into a space can be really useful in different rooms. It can be really useful for bringing in different height and scale. I have a lot of plants in our house, as you'll see. And I just think they're, you know, they tick so many boxes in terms of bringing a new feel into a space, but allowing you to work with those different elements. Um, And I think so much of styling is very similar to say photography or painting where essentially it comes into composition so like you said earlier the grouping things in three or five visually for whatever reason will always be there <laughs> yeah things, the rule of thirds in a photograph same as with an artist you want to be aware of what's in the foreground middle ground background but you can apply these things to your room as well so for example if you think of your kitchen like I'm looking over at our space over here now we have a peninsula first in the foreground if I want my hero piece to be particularly noticeable, I can put it there. Or say, for example, my hero piece is a piece of art on the back wall. I won't have anything in the foreground so that I, again, I'm drawn further back into that space to experience what it is that I want to, to be the focal point. And that could even help somebody inform like, you know, what they're going to choose for their hardware or if they want to change hardware on their kitchen or you know, spraying your kitchen cabinets is a great way to update a space. If you actually want the eye to be drawn instead to, like you said, a pendant or like a piece of art or the dining table, then you're going to want to paint the kitchen a different color. Like for us, we paint, we sprayed our kitchen. It was um, blue when we bought the house. Uh, We sprayed it white. So it would just disappear into the walls so that the eye would just go towards the end of the the long, narrow, open plan space. We didn't want the eye to rest on these block units that didn't, for some reason, didn't go up to the ceiling. So there's a big gap until the ceiling and I hated it. So I was like, if it's white, that won't be as obvious. Absolutely. And I think this again draws back to the, how do you want your space to feel? You know, Mm. so many of the, the design choices can become more obvious when you focus on that as your starting point. So I was very conscious again, an open plan space, two small kids. It's busy. It's great. <laughs> I wanted my space to feel calm when we came into mm-hmm. it. Hence, keeping a lot of negative space on the walls, keeping that sense of airiness from the high ceilings and choosing the kind of powder blue color for the kitchen. That wasn't going to be something that immediately got your attention. Of course, again, a different space, a different time. If it was just the the two of us, maybe I would have picked something more dramatic and cozier. But I think every single one of your design choices should be made with the why in mind and to support the feeling and the the mood that you're trying to evoke in the space. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm I'm actually looking at a picture of your, your kitchen and the things you have out. You have quite a lot of things out, but it doesn't look cluttered. So you have like one of those nice cast iron um, pots on the stove and all these things. I I assume a lot of times you can style with things that you're going to be using in the day to day and make those things a feature rather than something that has to be always tidied away. But then how do you draw the balance between that and clutter? Like, does it just mean everything has to be nicer so you can keep it out? Or how do you balance that? Because that looks beautiful. 
But like, if I took out all the pans I have right now, <laughs> it would be pretty embarrassing. Like there's something that lost its Teflon two years ago. And I'm like, oh God, I need a, a new pan if I want to do this. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Cause that seems like a great way to cheat your way into styling. That's also functional. Yeah. And again, it's all about functional and beautiful, both those things. Yeah. So, so often the things I'm choosing for our home, that will be my motivation. Are they functional and they're beautiful, which drives my husband mad sometimes. He's like, this is the perfect pot. But I'm like, oh, but that one over there is perfect and it looks gorgeous. But <laughs> at this stage. So yeah, I think it is a balancing act. And again, it's, you know, it, it's not expecting your home to look perfect all the time. That's not the goal by any means. Again, when we're crafting an image, that is for a very specific reason. But, you know, the images you see, say, of the kitchen that you have there in front of you, are all elements that I do use day to day. Like mm-hmm. I try to, you know, even going into a client's home for a magazine editorial, I much prefer to style with the elements that they already have in their home because yeah. that then is going to translate as so much more authentic on camera than me removing all of their own personal items, bringing in my own set of props and styling with that. Of course, I'll often bring individual elements to to a shoot you know, to add here or there. But on the whole, I much prefer working with things that are authentic and true to to an actual home, my, my own included. So I think, say, take that image, for example, I was certainly keeping in mind those composition rules. So things like the rule of thirds, the, the concept of a triangle, you will often mm. know if you break down in, you know, an image that really, um, there you go. (laughs) Right behind me. Catches your eye. Things will be arranged in a, in a triangle element, be it horizontally or vertically. So things like grouping objects together are varying in heights. If I have a, you know, a large group of things, I might weight them where I might have the largest object to the back and then grading forward smaller, which is common sense to a point. You're not going to put a big pot in front of two little ones because you can't see them. I think visually we we love the idea of um, wavy lines as well too. So say I'm styling a kitchen for an editorial, I might make sure that say they have beautiful plates and pots on display. I'm going to vary those heights so that mm. they're not all one straight line that the eye is drawn across the shelf and there is added interest for that and I think height is a really important tool when it comes to things not feeling one-dimensional so it doesn't necessarily need to be a big piece but you can stack books on top of each other you know have a, a vase with a large piece of foliage in it versus a smaller a smaller item next to it um, and I think it's important to consider every element so what is in view of the element around it? What's behind it? Is the colour palette cohesive? Are you repeating colours and materials? And going back to the open plan question from earlier, that is something that I used as an intentional tool for our open plan space. I actually have very few colours in our space. There's the powder blue of the kitchen, the walls are white, and then the couch is grey. And other than that, it's all about natural tones. So wood, bringing in texture with the sheepskin, bringing in some pottery so that you're maintaining that calm feeling when you come in. It doesn't feel overpowering, but equally, ideally, it doesn't feel one dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got like kind of this ice blue cabinetry and the pale gray quartz and that, and then also your beautiful herringbone floors. They're quite cool toned. They're almost like kind of like, so that all kind of 
fits in together. None of them seem like features, but they kind of blend really nicely. And then you have all the kind of light oak um, furniture. So what about then, you know, sometimes people then get a, a bit obsessive and they're like, oh, but I have like two different tones of wood. Like, does that mean I should buy like my dining table and my armchair and the side table? Do they all need to match my floors? So what would you say there if people want to style, but they're starting to feel a bit like, you know, how do I make it all match? Because that doesn't look good either. If you'd like, if I had, if everything, like, for example, that, that frame is white wood and that one's like a light timber and that's oak stained really dark. Um, but, but it works. How can people do it without looking too matchy matchy? And matchy matchy is the danger zone. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Again, this is authentic for me and that I love calm, neutral spaces. Yeah. I'm sure plenty of people would walk in and go, ooh, it's much too matchy-matchy-matchy for me. So I think it's it's not being afraid of contrast. It's always yeah. that between contrast and cohesion is that delicate, delicate um, middle ground. And I think, you know, mixing and matching different tones and different textures and materials looks amazing. But as you say, it's how do you find that balance and have it not look jarring? Yeah. So I think that's where it comes into training your eye and having enough, if it is a contrasting color, contrasting material or contrasting wood, that there's these little breadcrumbs of similar elements throughout it. And mm. um, for example, again, if you go back to that image of our kitchen earlier, you know, you see the black pot there is, you know, darkness from the greenery. I think, again, I don't have there's to a, There's your, the black bottles from Aesop, the hand wash, the classic one. So there's the black that speaks to it there. Exactly. And I think maybe it was yeah. their balsamic vinegar or something. So there's these pops of contrast that are drawing yeah. your eye around so that everything doesn't feel monotone. Um, but I think people should be, you know, shouldn't be afraid of, of bringing that kind of friction of unexpected elements and contrasts, but train your eye to, to see that thread of breadcrumbs or absolutely when you're going to different places. And I think, I know this has been mentioned in previous episodes, but bring your samples with you. So mm. if you have a sample of your paint color, if you have a sample of your countertop, you could get a really interesting contrasting piece of wood, but that the, you know that the tones complement each other, even though that they're completely different. So I think so much of styling is about training your eye and noticing every single little element. Um, yeah. And I would play around with it. You know, I think often people feel it's a very intimidating thing to try, but you'll be amazed how just putting a couple of elements in, stand back. How does that look? How does that make you feel? Okay, I don't like that over there. Take it out. Try it again. I did a styling course with Natalie Walton a couple of years ago, her art of styling, which was so useful for me in the industry, obviously. But what I found really refreshing is, you know, for somebody herself who has written countless successful books, has, you know, a studio space, has worked for magazines, has literally done it all when it comes to interior styling. In the styling course, she herself had lots of different videos of her styling space and how much of it was trial and error. She never yeah. came, went, right, I know I'm putting this here and I'm putting this here and I'm putting this here. She was like, okay, I'm going to put this in. Then she would stand back and say, mm, something about that not right. And it was really fascinating and reassuring to see it almost like playing, you know, like yeah. we do with children, that it, it's not about having all the right answers. It's about having fun in your space and just trying things out and always going back to say, okay, how do I feel about that? 
if you don't like it, keep tweaking, keep tweaking, keep practicing um, and honing that, that visual eye that you will develop. And I think if you collect things that, that are meaningful and that tie into the overall aesthetic of your house, you can always move things around. So like maybe your first draft, the first version of your styling is a little clumsy, but you live with it for a little and you're like, okay, I like that. And then you start paying attention more on Instagram. You go to a restaurant that's really stylish and you look over and you get an idea and then you you find something on Amazon that looks like it. You can then go moving things around. Like I have things that are now like, I have a stack of books about classic cars that have a, a flowering pot on top of it with an old radio and uh, a little espresso tree on top of our kitchen cabinets. But originally those books were somewhere else and that plant pot was somewhere else. So you can move things around as you get better at it and you'll, you'll start to notice the mistakes you made, but nothing will be wasted. So like, don't let that keep you from buying things that inspire you and give you ideas because you'll be able to move them around and, and find fresh new ways of, of using them. And then, like you said, start paying attention. So if you look at a magazine, you're like, wow, that looks amazing. Well, how many objects do they have? And where are they? And like, where did they put the, what did they put on the coffee table? How did they lay it out? And all of that stuff becomes a language you can start to learn. You know, it's, as you say, it's that paying attention to everything in your life. Like say, for example, you decide you want to go and buy a bunch of flowers. Like, are you drawn to, you know, something very dramatic and very crisp, like a a huge garland of, of lilies, for example, or are you more inclined to want to go for something more organic and natural and loose and free like wildflowers? Or maybe you don't want flowers at all and you'd much prefer to like forage branches from your garden. You know, all of these are little breadcrumbs and little visual clues into your own aesthetic personality. And I think the more we can tune into those preferences and decisions that we probably do instinctually on a day-to-day basis, you do start to build up that lexicon I guess of your Mm -hmm. your language for me a lot of times I like to kind of see it as more of a gut feeling or an intuitive thing that if I'm making a decision it doesn't even need to be about styling but I'll say okay does this make me feel warm is it something that I'm attracted to or is it more of a cold feeling and honing those gut feelings and those intuitive um, nudges can be really useful when it comes to developing your own personal style and taste Um, and I think that's where trends become insignificant because you can go into your friend's home and it can look amazing and you absolutely love it but you don't necessarily feel the need to run out and completely change your own space (laughs) it look like that because you are very secure then in your own visual preferences and and personal style yeah love it um so I think that's all really helpful um we talked a little bit about starting with your values uh we talked about choosing the mood and story that you want a space to have. You also have to work around the existing architecture and and furniture because we're talking about styling here, that final layer. And then thinking just like somebody behind the camera lens, what's the focal point here? Is there visual clutter? Can we create some negative space and thinking composition, your rule of thirds, three to five items for some reason seem to work well, varying heights, thinking in triangles, and trying to find that balance between um, cohesion and contrast and, and figuring that out between a mix of what you like and what you're drawn to. Maybe you like a lot of contrast, or maybe you like a lot of cohesion and things really 
just blending into the background with like completely Scandinavian style. So I think that's all really helpful. Um, if somebody is thinking of like, you know, giving their ha- their house or their space a facelift with styling, are there any other resources that they could look at? Like, would you recommend Pinterest or are there some particular stores you love for accessories um, or does it really depend on their style? I think Pinterest is a useful tool for everybody as long as it's used with some caveats. Like I said, (laughs) tumbling into this endless hole of inspiration and coming out more confused than when you started. I have worked with clients in the past to help them distill their personal style, be it when it comes to, you know, styling their wedding or styling a space. And one of the the tools that I love to use is I have a, a visual bank of images you know, hundreds of different kinds, different styles, not even just interiors related. It could be mm. a, anything. It could be travel related. It could be interiors. It could be food. It could be florals. And I have them go through without spending too much time thinking and just start grabbing the images that appeal to them, not really mm. around why, and then have them step back and distill it down further. So reduce from 30 images down to 20, pick your absolute favorite 20. Again, don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. And you get down to 10 and start seeing, do you notice any repeating patterns in those images? So for example, it might be, you know, a rustic French farmhouse in Provence that you've been drawn to. Really try and stop and analyze what is it about that image that I love? Is it the brickwork? Is it perhaps the feeling of the outdoors and in? Is it the color tones? Is it the texture? And you might start to notice a repeating pattern in terms of what you are drawn to, you know, that you'll start to see a more rustic pattern. You'll see that you're drawn to really clean, minimal lines or that you're drawn to bold colors. And I think too often we go into our homes with the end in mind that we see, I've seen this blue kitchen that this person has, that's what I want. Rather Mm -hmm. than as I say, stepping back and really tuning into those those little nudges. And I find it's fascinating at the end of that exercise, how many people step back and go, oh my God, I had no idea that this is what I was drawn to or this is the feeling or mood that I was trying to create. So I get a lot of pleasure from guiding people on that process and kind of seeing that, that light bulb penny drop at the end. So that would be my tip to distill it down, start noticing the patterns and every individual that you image that you love really analyze why and what are the elements in that that have drawn you to it in the first place I think that's great advice and particularly looking at things that are non-interiors when I was freelancing and, and starting to work with my own clients when I pivoted into interior design I would have people create a Pinterest board and they weren't allowed to pin anything interiors related so I said just pin things you love aesthetically or that inspire you but I don't want to see any rooms. I don't want to see any, like maybe a piece of furniture if there's something you really love, but I don't see any rooms. And that was so interesting to see what people ended up pulling. Like I remember um, a friend of mine, I had her do it and she pulled like some scenes from Golden Girls and like pictures of Cher in the seventies and the Rocky Horror Picture Show and like these old Victorian botanical drawings with like ads of aperitifs and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And from that, I was like, oh, I, I know the direction we have to take now that you know we have all of this. And I knew the backdrop of her house and the architecture. 
And that it, and, but people don't start with that. They think it's completely separate and that they have no taste, but they have to start with all the things they already love that even you, you might think, Oh, I like a TV show. All of it has an aesthetic. Uh, you, the art, the music you listen to has an aesthetic. It just hasn't been translated yet. Oh, I love that so much. Even hearing about those images, this is the bit that really excites me. <laughs> yes, you know, as everybody has taste. Everybody has their own personal aesthetic and story that can be defined. And that's when you get really exciting spaces. And, you know, it even influences the, the decisions you make in your day-to-day life then. And, you know, I think we all can see the value when you live from that authentic place, it has a knock-on effect and and benefits every aspect. So while beautiful interiors are great, authentic interiors, I think, are what we should all be striving for. Yeah, things that nobody can replicate. Like, for example, to my husband's huge into cars, and he kept all his old toy cars from when he was little. And I incorporated them into the interior design for our house. So there's a, like, red Ferrari that we attached that's in our gallery wall driving down the wall and we have it like stacked on top of like a tower of books all these little things that like nobody else could ever make that and if they did it wouldn't mean what it does to us but it's so random like like and it's not kitschy either you have to do it in a in a specific way so I think that's a great point to to wrap it up and I think to inspire anyone who's listening to Take a room that isn't inspiring them, (laughs) empty it, (laughs) maybe give some stuff away, recycle some things, throw some things away, maybe move some furniture around and then start from this idea of a feeling and a mood board, but also something that is authentic to you. And uh, give yourself a budget and start looking in strange places for for pieces to style with. And I think going back to what you're saying, things that you already have that are functional, I think is a great way to, um, to find, to, like, you don't need to buy a lot of these things. Some of them you just have, but maybe you just need to upgrade it. So like maybe there's a pepper grinder that you use all the time if you cook. Well, maybe you just get a slightly nicer one because uh, you've had that one for 10 years and it's like ratty. And now you have something that's that you already use all the time that is now styled, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's so much of a misnomer that styled has to mean beautiful, whereas mm-hmm. I think really style should just be, as you say, artfully arranging the things you already have to create interest. So it's not that yeah. everything at home needs to be perfect, but it's that yeah. it has to be, have a connection to you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Some things, actually, some worn things can look much better than than bright, new and and polished. And on that note, I think it's really good to get things from a few different places. So like get something from, from a flea market and then also get something from the finished design shop, my favorite place ever. <laughs> and then also have something that you've had for like years that you've repurposed for, for another. So like, as you're thinking of the balance and the composition, don't get three things from Ikea and put them together. Cause that's going to look like an Ikea catalog, but you can take an Ikea piece and then like a vintage Italian marble coaster stack and then something else that like your your mother-in-law gave to you like a beautiful crystal tumbler that you're going to fill with I don't know rose petals <laughs> allow things to take time I think when yeah. I first moved in with my husband 
I was so eager to create a home that I thought that meant buying a lot of stuff quickly. Yep. You know, when we <laughs> eventually moved in here, I realized how much I had acquired that didn't have, you know, that kind of personal connection. I just wanted to feel yep. like off when we were grown ups. So I think it's having patience to allow your home to develop over time and to acquire those things intentionally and thoughtfully. That will ideally be good quality that you don't have to get rid of in a few years time. You know, I think we all need to be so much more mindful of our environmental impact and ideally yeah. pick things that are sustainable so that we're we're creating thoughtful interiors that can last long term. A hundred percent. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Kira. I think that's been very inspiring and um, really a lesson in storytelling more than anything. And I hope people can start looking at things in a slightly different way and be inspired to change their surroundings if they're not inspiring you without having to, you know, knock down walls or replace entire joinery. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And um, if people want to follow your journey, where can they find you? So Instagram, I suppose I'm best at updating most regularly. So you can find me over there at kira.o.halloran. My website is online and woefully neglected one of these days. <laughs> but you can find me over there also. Okay, great. We'll put that in the show notes. And so you, you pretty much, so it sounds like you don't work direct to consumer. Is that right? You're working primarily editorial and, and commercial. So if somebody wants to hire you for interior styling or to style their wedding, can they get in touch maybe or no? <laughs> no, absolutely. They can get in touch. I think, again, it's probably it's it's helping people hone their vision is, is what yeah. I'm particularly passionate about and experienced with rather than going in and helping them redesign their home from start to finish. But absolutely, I'm always open to making connections with new people and as you can hear, I'm pretty passionate about the world of interiors in general. So don't hesitate to get in touch. Wonderful. And that almost seems like it's a very affordable way of like redoing your house because you just hire somebody for a consult who can help you create that vision. And then you go off by yourself and, and DIY it, um, so, but with an expert's help. Absolutely. And there have been people in the past that I've done that and I've sent them lists of, you know, okay, for if this is your particular aesthetic, I would recommend sourcing from the, these areas, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is something I have done in the past for people. Wonderful. So we'll put that in the show notes and um, follow along Kira's journey. You can see some of the places she styled as well as her own house and inspiration and maybe get in touch if you need some help. So thanks so much, Kira. And I hope to stay in touch and uh, hear more from where your career takes you. My pleasure. Just go play, everyone. Enjoy your space. <laughs> Just make it you. Forget about what everyone else is doing. Love it. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Interiors Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast today, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on whatever platform you're listening in on and sharing the podcast with your family and friends. Until next time.